Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Thursday, October 27th, 2022, the 645th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. You'll be supporting me, the work I do, and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to, continue listening to the podcast on a variety of platforms. All I ask is that you share it with your friends. Yesterday in the afternoon, Elon Musk walked into the Twitter headquarters with a sink in his hands, an actual sink. He walked in and said, let that sink in. And then he had a impromptu meeting with some of the Twitter staff, many of whom will not be Twitter staff over the next few days, as Elon Musk has promised to cut up to 75% of Twitter staff, just all the jobs. Bye bye. And hey, sorry, Twitter staff, but that's what you get for running the censorship regime. Your actions have cost this country so profoundly 
How many millions of jobs were lost? How many businesses were destroyed? How many lives were lost from Twitter censoring true information about the very deadly pandemic? Twitter censorship made it so that people couldn't talk about how devastating the lockdowns were, how useless the masks were, and how not safe and not effective the experimental gene therapy is. But Twitter employees don't see it that way. They think they're heroes for their role in helping to implement the global communist agenda, which they think is going to create equity and save the earth from the sun. And of course, protect our democracy and save lives from a very deadly pandemic and ensure there's never another insurrection ever again, except by BLM Antifa. Let's remember who exactly the Twitter employees are. And this is from Project Veritas back in the late spring. This is Twitter's senior engineer, Siru Marugasan, captured on Project Veritas hidden video. I think there's a difference between Twitter's definition of free speech and Elon's definition of free speech. Twitter does not want free speech. Elon doesn't free speech. What do your colleagues say about like? They hate it. Some of my colleagues are like super left, 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 left. You know, our job is at stake. He's a capitalist. If we weren't really operating like capitalists more, you know, like very socialist, like we're all like communist. I basically went and worked like four hours a week last quarter. That's just how it works in our company. Well, Twitter is like mental health everything. Like if you're not feeling it, you can take a few days off. People take a month off. I don't know the two parties can truly coexist on one platform. Now, I know the video was a little hard to hear. She asks him if there's a difference between Twitter's definition of free speech and Elon Musk's definition of free speech. And his response is Twitter does not believe in free speech. Elon believes in free speech. She asked what the colleagues say about it. He said they hate it. Some of my colleagues are super left, 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 left. He says, you know, our jobs are at stake. He's a capitalist and we weren't really operating like capitalists, more like very socialist, like we're all commie as fuck. I basically went to work like four hours a week last quarter, and it's just how it works in our company. It's like mental health is everything. Like if you are not feeling it, you can take a few days off. People have taken months off. I don't know that two parties can truly coexist on one platform. So that is what the corporate culture is like at Twitter. They are very, very left, 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 like socialists. He says they're commie as fuck. And hey, pardon my French, but it's so nice when they admit it, particularly because I spent two years having people tell me this isn't communism. Yeah, sure. Commie. Sure. It's not go with that. But you just heard it from one of the Twitter engineers. Now on Monday. Time Magazine published this article. Twitter employees protest Elon Musk's plan to fire 75% of workforce. Employees at Twitter are circulating an open letter protesting Elon Musk's plan to fire as much as 75% of the company's workforce, as the deadline for him to complete his $44 billion acquisition of the company looms, time has learned. Musk must complete the acquisition by Friday or face the resumption of a lawsuit in a Delaware court. And it now looks like he has done that. 
Elon Musk told prospective funders of his Twitter acquisition that he planned to replace or eradicate the jobs of nearly 75% of Twitter's staff, reducing headcount from 7,500 to just 2,000, the Washington Post reported last week. Musk has previously claimed that the social media company is bloated and has also said its workforce has a strong left-wing bias. And that, my friends, is not an opinion. It's just true. So let's go through the letter. Staff, Elon Musk, and board of directors. We, the undersigned Twitter workers, believe the public conversation is in jeopardy. Elon Musk's plan to lay off 75% of Twitter workers will hurt Twitter's ability to serve the public conversation. A threat of this magnitude is reckless, undermines our users and customers' trust in our platform, and is a transparent act of worker intimidation. Hey, Commies, he's not intimidating you. He's firing you. And here's the other thing. He owns the company. He doesn't have a responsibility to keep you on. He doesn't have a responsibility to the world to keep you at your jobs. Imagine the kind of child-brained millennial thinking that leads these Twitter employees to believe that they are the world's most essential workers. Their efforts in censoring political speech of people across the globe is their grand contribution to society. And for that, they should not be fired. They should be rewarded. They should be promoted. They should get paid for never even having to come to work. That's how good and important a job they are doing. Honestly, Elon Musk should clone each and every one of them and by doing so, double the workforce just so that they and their clone can work side by side. Imagine how much more effectively they could censor people if that was the case. And I think Elon Musk can do it, honestly. Twitter has significant effects on societies and communities across the globe. As we speak, Twitter is helping to uplift independent journalism in Ukraine and Iran, as well as powering social movements around the world. Isn't that amazing? Twitter themselves are taking responsibility for what's going on in Ukraine and Iran. And if you want things to keep working so well in those places, you need to keep the censorship in place and all the employees in place at Twitter. There's no way that those situations could ever possibly be helped by more open information. It's just not possible. We've got to keep things at the status quo. They're hanging by a threat already. A threat to workers at Twitter is a threat to Twitter's future. Hey, guys. It's not a threat. He's firing you. These threats have an impact on us as workers, but you're not workers anymore. You guys just don't get it and demonstrate a fundamental disconnect with the realities of operating Twitter. They threaten our livelihoods, access to essential health care and the ability for visa holders to stay in the country they work in. We cannot do our work in an environment of constant harassment and threats without our work. There is no Twitter. Well, I guess we're going to find out, aren't we, commies? We, the workers at Twitter, will not be intimidated. No, you won't. You'll just be fired and then you'll be gone. We commit to supporting the communities, organizations, and businesses who rely on Twitter. We will not stop serving the public conversation. Yes, 
Yes, you will. You're not going to be working at Twitter. If you want to keep serving the public conversation, you're just going to have to do it somewhere else. Oh, you're all going to go to tribal. Got it. We call on Twitter management and Elon Musk to cease these negligent layoff threats. As workers, we deserve concrete commitments so we can continue to preserve the integrity of our platform. We demand of current and future leadership. And they have some bullet points here of their very hard and specific demands. Demand number one, respect. We demand leadership to respect the platform and the workers who maintain it by committing to preserving the current headcount. Hey, commies, you're not in any position to be making demands. At least 75% of you don't work at Twitter anymore. What leverage is it you think you're exerting? Demands number two, safety. We demand that leadership does not discriminate against workers on the basis of their race, gender, disability, sexual orientation, or political beliefs. We also demand safety for workers on visas who will be forced to leave the country they work in if they are laid off. Oh, no. So they're not going to be legally allowed to stay in the United States? Well, I guess they're going to have to go somewhere else, won't they? That's kind of how it works when the system is applied evenly according to the law. And speaking of the law, laws protecting people from discrimination on race and gender and disability and sexual orientation and political beliefs, well, that's already a law. So, of course, they're going to do that. But here's the thing. You guys are all committed to discriminating against people for their political beliefs on the platform. That's like your number one most obvious policy when it comes to censorship and you brag about it. So how are you demanding as a condition of your no longer working at Twitter, something you are explicitly committed to not granting Twitter users? Demand number three, protection. We demand Elon Musk explicitly commit to preserve our benefits those both listed in the merger agreement and not, for example, remote work. We demand leadership to establish and ensure fair severance policies for all workers before and after any change in ownership. Sorry, guys, not going to happen. Demands number four, dignity. We demand transparent, prompt, and thoughtful communication around our working conditions. We demand to be treated with dignity and not be treated as mere pawns in a game played by billionaires. Hey, commies, what do you think your status was before? Who do you think is running Twitter? Who do you think puts you in your role as a person who gets to control what other people are allowed to say? And why are you asking Elon Musk for dignity when dignity is something none of you have any of as proven by the fact that you wrote this letter? Come on, commies. Just take the L and move on. It's something you're gonna have to get really, really used to. Because here's the thing. You're fired. 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 
You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. You're fired. Now listen, I get it. They thought they had the best job ever. They get to be among the most powerful people in society. They get to choose what average citizens are allowed to talk about. And for that, they get to work from home whenever they want. They don't have to go to the office more than four times a year, as that senior engineer just said. They just make their own schedule. They work from home or they work from the very cushy office that has all sorts of little perks inside and they get a good salary. They get tons of benefits. They get told they're very special just for chopping off their genitals. They get to serve the public conversation and they're encouraged to have temper tantrums whenever anything doesn't go their way. One of their employees reacted on Twitter. Her account name is Compile Sandrunes, I guess. C-O-M-P-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-R-U-N-S. And Her account has since gone private because she got lit up for posting this. Hey, Elon Musk, thanks for visiting Twitter San Francisco. Hope you enjoyed your coffee at The Perch. Just one question. Was it fun to look at the faces of the people you said you'd be laying off? I mean, who do these people think they are, honestly? This wealthy man bought your company and now you're going to get fired. And you think you can solve that problem by having a tantrum on Twitter and writing a letter demanding that you keep your jobs, even though your job is worthless and redundant and inherently evil. And if you can't keep your job, well, then you want all the same benefits as if you were working for not working. But surely these Outliers can't represent the actual work culture at Twitter, right? Well, this is from Libs of TikTok yesterday. A Twitter employee did a vlog about their day. Welcome to a day in my life as a Twitter employee. So this past week went to SF for the first time at a Twitter office, badged in, honestly took a moment to just soak everything in. What a blessing. Also started my morning off with an iced matcha from the perch. Then I had a meeting, so quickly scheduled one of these little pod rooms, which were so cool. They're literally noise canceling. Took my meeting, got ready for bunch. Look how delicious this food looks. Oh my goodness, I was so overwhelmed. Then made my way down to this log cabin area. I don't know what this is, but it was really cool. Played some foosball with my friends to kind of unwind a bit. Um, also found this really cool meditation room that I thought was super neat. Um, I didn't do any yoga, but they have this yoga room if you are a yogi, so also thought that was really cool. Um, had a couple more meetings in the afternoon, had a ton of projects that we needed to knock out. Say hey to my teammates. Um, <laughs> went to the went to the library to kind of get some more work done. Obviously had to have our afternoon coffee, so made some espresso. And then before leaving for the day, had some red wine um, that's on tap 
went up to the rooftop and just honestly enjoyed the beautiful weather. So awesome trip. How about that? Twitter is basically day camp for communist tweens. And the video's worth watching so you can get the visual. But the entire place looks like it was designed by a team of Instagram influencers, preparing little backdrops and spaces where they could shoot all the great things they're doing. Not like your shitty life. They have a nap room and a meditation room and a yoga room. In the morning, you start with a matcha. In the afternoon, you make yourself an espresso and then pour yourself a glass of red wine from the tap. This is the grand prize for winning at college. You get to spend the rest of your life in day camp. It's like Twitter employees have all been Benjamin buttoned. You keep going there for long enough and eventually you start dressing like a child and wearing clown makeup and going to work disguised as a different gender. These people are live action role playing their real lives. And they don't want it to stop because they know that after they are fired from Twitter, there really isn't another opportunity for them out there like this. Not with all these perks and all the power. Maybe they can find the perks somewhere else, but the power, that's going to be real hard. So Elon Musk, for all intents and purposes, now owns Twitter. And it's supposed to officially happen at 5 p.m. tomorrow. Or at least that's the rumor. It is oddly coincidental that Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter and potentially the opening of Twitter to free speech once again comes on the five year anniversary of the very beginning of the Q information phenomenon. Isn't that incredible? I have written at long length, you can find it on the Substack under the tab, a story about reality about the Q information phenomenon and how I believe it is potentially and probably the most important information phenomenon in 2000 years. And if you want the full argument on that, by all means, go read the series. But the long and short of it is that the Q posts and the community that grew up around the Q posts and joined with the broader truth community has reversed the polarity of how we get information rather than all the information coming to us from the top down, from the authoritative source down through levels of experts and media middlemen. We now have bottom up information. People learned how to scour the internet for good open source information and put it together and in doing so refute the media's central narrative about some of the most important events in our country's history. And that process is now fully functional outside of any relation to Q. A lot of people who are in the broader truth movement or who are at least part of the awakening in some way by awakening themselves are doing so based on information and research that was rooted in the Q community. 
that community is responsible for taking the propaganda and censorship information weapon and turning it back around on the enemy. Now information is decentralized. People are able to find and share and spread information. And as they spread that information, more people see it. And when more people see it, they vet the information. They say to themselves, does this sound true? Does this map onto reality? And if it does, they spread that information further. And as it goes up those levels, eventually that information will find its way to experts in any given field. And those experts will then vet that information in good faith for no money, not serving any master, but the truth. And when that happens, the information spreads more and more broadly, having already been vetted at a series of levels, including by experts, so that when the information goes wide, people already know it's true and they know how we got there. It's a total reversal in the flow of information that exposes the dishonesty and fraudulence of the authoritative source. In fact, it eliminates the need for the authoritative source altogether. So that has been one of the most important advancements in human history in the area of information. And on the five-year anniversary of that beginning, we may well see a massive advancement on that project. If Twitter becomes open to free speech, the truth community will finally have the voice and the power it deserves. All of the messages, all of the important information that the public has largely been prevented from seeing intentionally by the most powerful people in the world could become fully available for everyone to see. It is possible that Twitter itself may decentralize and that content from other platforms might flow directly through Twitter. So if you were Following me on Twitter, we might see a point in the not so distant future where you will also receive my truth social posts, my getter posts, my gab posts, my telegram posts, my rumble posts, my substack posts, all existing right there in my Twitter feed. You would only have to follow me in one place. I think that might be where they're going with this. And if that's the case, it would be impossible to censor Twitter. Because the content would exist elsewhere and Twitter would just be the platform. It would be like a clearinghouse of all that information. And it would attach to real users. Without the censorship algorithm and the promotion algorithm, what effect do bots have? All it takes for this world to change quickly is open access to information. It is the most important issue in the world. Everything else flows from that. That's why the freedom of speech was guaranteed to us in the First Amendment. Without those freedoms, everything else becomes impossible or at least impossible to protect. Imagine where we would be if over the last two and a half years, there had been no censorship and no ability to promote propaganda and flood people's feeds with propaganda. Imagine there hadn't been an algorithm to promote certain content and ban or shadow ban other content. Imagine the platforms didn't have a way to control your beliefs and emotions throughout the day. And we know they can do that. Even their fake whistleblowers have said that. But it was obvious well before Frances Hogan made her appearance on the scene. Oh, the Facebook whistleblower. 
that fantastic limited hangout charade. Imagine what that world looks like. We may well be seeing it. And what happens if Donald Trump comes back on Twitter? Now, he doesn't have to. Trump has said over and over again that he would never rejoin Twitter. But if Twitter decentralizes in the way I just described, if other platforms feed through on the Twitter feed, well, then Donald Trump could be on Twitter without being on Twitter. Or he may well just say, hey, I didn't think I was ever going to go back to Twitter, but now I will. Now, obviously, this is speculation. I don't know what Elon Musk is going to do. Maybe he's going to do all of this in a much more gradual way, or maybe it all happens tomorrow. I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. But if that happens, when it happens, the game is basically over. How long could the public continue to hold any of the insane beliefs they hold about a wide, wide range of subjects, basically everything? As a result of the propaganda and the censorship, as a result of the promotion of the Blue Anon accounts and the Democratic paid influencer accounts like that douchebag Brooklyn Dad Defiant, their entire program, the communist entire program, the global agenda is all premised on the idea that they can always control the flow of information because they constantly need the public to accept what they're doing. They actually want the public to support what they're doing. That's why all the propaganda is there. But so few people actually do support this stuff. And I think that we're going to see that pretty clearly if and when this change happens. Their narratives are based entirely on absolute and obvious falsehoods that they're able to maintain only through propaganda and censorship. Not only do the people spreading these narratives believe them because they are clueless and they don't account for the fact that they exist in a censored environment of their own making, but they're also not accustomed to actually dealing with real backlash and real counter narrative arguments. All that stuff is hidden away from them, so they don't see it. It doesn't bother them. They actually think they represent some massive majority of Americans. All of us, we're on a fringe. Of course, that's exactly backwards. And everything about real life should show us that. Now, maybe I'm wrong about the pace of all this, but we're going to see that effect one way or another in the next couple of weeks. It is beginning to look like the midterm elections are going to be an absolute bloodbath for the communists. To the point where it is completely undeniable now. This is Politico from this morning. Going to be ugly. All signs point to Republican landslide in Florida. Now, Florida has been a major target for Democrats for a very long time. They've put all sorts of resources into taking over Florida. They have the retread political hack Charlie Crist running against Ron DeSantis one of the most popular governors in the nation, and they spent their time pretending the race was neck and neck. They have Val Demings, who was being promoted as a potential vice presidential candidate for the fake president back in 2020. She's going to get blown out by Marco Rubio. Florida Democrats are bracing for a very bad night on November 8th. Less than two weeks before the election, Democrats are signaling that key races are slipping away from them. 
They point to ominous signs and missed opportunities, including the party's message on abortion rights and gun control that isn't resonating and a lack of coordination between the campaigns of Representative Val Demings, who is vying to unseat Marco Rubio and Charlie Crist, who is challenging Governor DeSantis. Most worrisome for Democrats, national organizations and donors have all but abandoned their candidates, setting off fears that Florida is no longer viewed as competitive. That would have dire implications for the next presidential election. If Democrats follow this building national narrative and decide not to compete in Florida in 2024, it will be one of the most short-sighted decisions of the last 30 years, said Greg Goddard, a veteran Florida Democratic fundraiser. Where do we think the pathway to winning a future presidential election lies? Well, hey, Greg, it doesn't lie anywhere. The Democrat Party is over forever. Interviews with more than a dozen Democratic operatives, consultants and elected officials reflect that there's little optimism ahead of the midterms and longstanding issues that show the once perennial swing state may be lost to them. Consider. The Democratic Governors Association spent just $685,000 this election cycle. It gave $14 million to Florida in the past two governor's races. Well, that's strange, isn't it? I thought the establishment was very committed to ousting Ron DeSantis. Huh, I guess not. Maybe they're okay with DeSantis. Very interesting. Big outside donor money has almost completely dried up. New York billionaire Michael Bloomberg contributed only $1.5 million to Democrats this cycle. He vowed $100 million to Florida in 2020. And do you remember that? He spent millions of dollars paying off fines that felons owed to Florida so that those felons could vote. And everybody congratulated him for his BLM activism. He was such a hero for helping the Democrats attempt to steal the election in Florida. Polling shows Republicans making headway in Miami-Dade County, which has long served as a blue stronghold. Democrats have collectively raised $29 million in the four non-federal statewide races. Republicans raised nearly $200 million. Oh, wow. And Florida's a swing state. That's being outraised seven to one in a swing state. How many Democrats are there, really? Where are those 81 million real legal American voters who put Joe Biden in office? I'm just kidding. The voters didn't put Joe Biden in office. Florida has trended Republican in recent years with former President Donald Trump winning the state in 2016 by a little over 1% and again in 2020 by an even wider three-point margin. But they tried to make sure that didn't happen. Remember when they delayed the results in the panhandle and pretended there was going to be a giant comeback there? Many Democrats began to write off the state, even as the party maintained a big voter registration advantage. Now it's lost that edge. There are now nearly 300,000 more registered Republicans statewide. And that's interesting, isn't it? So many people have been moving to Florida because it's a free state. But we are told that when people from blue states like California uproot their lives and move to freer states, they're bringing their politics with them. Hence, all the new Democratic registrations. Well, those Florida numbers make it sound like that's not exactly what's happening. It all seems to spell doom for Democrats. Some think the party is just waving a white flag. 
State Senator Jason Pizzo, a Democrat who represents part of South Florida, noted that President Joe Biden has visited the state only twice since becoming president, both during times of crisis instead of specific campaign events. Biden is scheduled to hold a fundraiser and get out the vote rally with Christ in South Florida on November 1st, just days before the election. Demings is scheduled to join Biden at the rally. What have Democrats done? Not enough, Pizzo said. They then move into a long discussion about the Ron DeSantis factor, which I will mostly skip, but they do note DeSantis fueled his rise in part by charting his own course on COVID-19, eschewing lockdowns and vaccine mandates. He built a Trump-like connection with conservative base voters that has most political observers asking not if he will win re-election, but by how much. He might even dominate Miami-Dade County, which he lost by 20 points in 2018 to Democratic nominee Andrew Gillum. Well, it's sounding like some of the election fraud apparatus in Florida has been turned off because otherwise swings like that simply are not possible. But let's jump to the bottom. Some Democrats, however, are trying to retain some hope about the looming election. Conventional wisdom is that DeSantis and Rubio had this locked up, but it wasn't long ago that conventional wisdom had Joe Biden dead in the Democratic primary and Trump losing to Hillary by double digits, said Juan Penalosa, former executive director of the Florida Democratic Party. Anyone who can say with certainty that they know the election results ahead of time is reading a crystal ball, but not a poll. This is going to come down to turnout. And right now, with more than 800,000 votes cast, Democrats have the edge. Lauren Book, a Democratic legislative leader who is trying to stop Republicans from gaining a supermajority in the state Senate, added, just because a few polls say there's a red wave, should we give up? Absolutely not. And sure, Kami, go with that. Give it the old college try. Stephen Shale, a veteran Democratic strategist who still runs a super PAC that supports Biden, whoops, was blunt. I don't see how we get to 50% of the vote tally by the end of election night. Well, no, you're definitely not going to do that. But of course, we know Democrats and nothing ends on election night just because the law says it does. Shale pointed out how the party is now struggling with Hispanic and non-college educated white voters. Democrats in the past would try to rely on large margins in urban counties such as Miami-Dade. If that doesn't happen, there's no realistic path to victory. For me, it's a simple math question, he said. And yeah, it is. If Democrats can't steal elections by running up the numbers of fraudulent ballots in urban communities, they don't have any chance of winning. Not just in Florida, everywhere. You might recall that in 2020, according to the fraudulent election results, Joe Biden outperformed Barack Obama with black voters, not everywhere, just in the urban centers of the swing states. But there wasn't fraud. There wasn't fraud. And they definitely weren't stealing the votes of black voters. They definitely weren't stealing local elections in these communities either. And once they steal those elections, they definitely don't put policies into place that further devastate minority communities in large metropolitan areas. None of that happened. It's all been debunked. It's a conspiracy theory. We had the safest and most secure election of all time 
in 2020. And it's funny to me that the very serious intellectuals on Twitter and the people in the media continue pretending that election fraud and widespread election fraud and election theft aren't real problems in this country. This is a letter from Tuesday by the Republican members of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives to acting Secretary of State Lee Chapman. We, the undersigned members, are writing with great concern about the process used to ensure that only qualified legal voters vote in the 2022 general election. Due to the 2018 directive from your office instructing counties to register voters without verification of identity, the need to verify the identity and eligibility of mail and absentee ballot applicants is even more critical to the integrity of our elections. As of October 21st, 2022, records of 2022 mail ballot data shows that counties have already mailed over 240,000 unverified ballots. During the state government committee hearing on September 14th, 2022, Representative Ryan asked Deputy Secretary Marks to explain the large number of requests submitted to the Social Security Administration Help America Vote verification system. Marks testified that the HAVV system is being used to verify SSN4, that's the Social Security number, for mail ballot applications. He then went on to testify that if a person submits an invalid pen dot ID or invalid SSN four, the counties must still send a mail ballot to the requester who provided invalid identification. Here's a quote from Deputy Secretary Jonathan Marks. I want to make sure we're clear about the distinction between the two processes. Voter registration, there is no federal requirement or state requirement that those numbers match or that every voter has to have one of those two numbers. With mail-in balloting, it is a requirement. If when you apply, your PennDOT ID cannot be verified or your last four of SSN cannot be verified, the county can still issue the ballot. But the ballot doesn't count unless the voter provides a valid form of ID, either a PennDOT ID or the last four of social security number that can be verified or one of the other forms of identification provided for in the statute. So they can still send out the ballot and then the ID just has to be verified later. But as you might remember on election day in 2020, attorney general of Pennsylvania, Josh Shapiro, who is now running for governor against Doug Mastriano. And when he is not campaigning, he is busy incubating inside the lump on John Fetterman's neck, he tweeted out that once all the ballots are counted, Joe Biden would definitely win Pennsylvania. They want to count all the ballots. It has never been for them about counting only real, legal, verified, valid chain of custody votes from Americans. It's only been about counting all the votes. So whatever votes they can produce, you have to count. They don't need the ID verification at any point in the system as long as they are willing to override it and then wage lawfare until they can find a judge that says, oh, well, the election's over now and people have been sworn in. So this whole issue is moot. And then they'll just dismiss the case on procedural grounds as they did again and again and again after the 2020 election. Deputy Secretary Marks' testimony that counties are responsible for verification of ID prior to counting a ballot 
was subsequently contradicted by the PA Department of State guidance concerning examination of absentee and mail-in ballot return envelopes dated September 26th, 2022. The guidance tells counties that the identification is verified before sending a ballot to an applicant. The Pennsylvania Election Code describes processes that include multiple secure methods used by the Voters County Board of Election to verify that the qualified voters absentee or mail-in application is complete and that the statutory requirements are satisfied. These include voter identification verification confirmed by either a valid driver's license number, the last four digits of the voter's social security number, or other valid photo identification and unique information on the application, including the voter's residence and date of birth. Before sending the ballot to the applicant, the County Board of Elections confirms the qualifications of the applicant by verifying the proof of identification, except they just simply ignore it. They don't do it. So the ID never gets checked at any point in the process and hundreds of thousands of mail in ballots get sent out to voters who are completely unverified in the system as legal, eligible American voters. Those ballots get harvested and cast for the chosen candidates. So the voter ID requirement for all intents and purposes is wiped away, which is why states adding voter ID requirements doesn't actually fix the problem. And people like me have been talking about this for the entire time. Georgia added voter ID and Major League Baseball pulled the all-star game from Atlanta. You might remember that last year. And they make a big show of it because they don't want voter ID to be required at all. But the truth is that they have plenty of ways of working around it. And if they're not able to work around it, they'll just simply ignore the law completely, knowing that they will not be held accountable and they'll continue to get their candidates into office as they did in 2020. So this is a pretty big problem in Pennsylvania, and this is just one element of the attempted steal in Pennsylvania, just one element of it, 240,000 ballots mailed out that are not necessarily and very likely not attached to any legal eligible voter in Pennsylvania, but it gets worse. This is from ABC News today. And it is fairly amazing that the mainstream media is forced to have to get to this point in their reporting where they are basically giving us a laundry list of the ways that the communists are attempting to steal this election. Of course, they present it as a problem that we have found out about, and surely this problem will be fixed by the election. And once they've communicated that to the child brains, the child brains simply accept it. And when people say, hey, this turned out to be a problem. Look, they knew about it in advance. The child brains just say, yeah, well, that was solved. And if you think it's not, you're a conspiracy theorist. ABC News ballot paper shortage could cause problems on Election Day. A paper supply crunch is testing the preparedness of U.S. election officials and exposing a key vulnerability in America's democratic process as midterm voting gets underway. Oh, wait, I thought the threat to America's democratic process was people sowing doubt in the integrity of our elections. What's happening here? The 2022 election cycle will use an estimated 30 million pounds of paper. Oh, wow according to industry experts. 
Soaring demand and a shortage of manufacturers during the pandemic have pinched national stockpiles, leaving little room for error. You got that? There's not enough paper for ballots because of the very deadly pandemic of two and a half years ago. We're all just collectively crossing our fingers and hoping that the supply chain works just fine, said Ricky Hatch, county clerk and election administrator for Weber County, Utah. Well, thanks, Ricky. That ought to solve it. You cross your fingers and assume everything's going to be just fine. And if it's not, you know whose fault it is? Putin's. Putin's what destroyed the supply chains, right? That's all this is. This is not an attempt to make it impossible for MAGA voters to vote on Election Day when patriotic Americans go vote in person. It's not about that. I mean, sure, they have more than enough paper to print out hundreds of thousands of illegitimate ballots in Pennsylvania, but definitely not enough to have ballots on hand for people voting in person on Election Day, as everyone knows Republicans are planning to do. Isn't it strange how these things always go in one direction? The biggest concern is editing mistakes or last minute changes to a local ballot requiring a large scale reprint. That's when the shortage could manifest itself, Hatch said. ABC News got an inside look at one of the nation's largest ballot producers, Runbeck Election Systems in Phoenix, Arizona, which will deliver 50 million midterm ballots across 10 states, consuming more than 5 million pounds of paper, according to the company. And thank goodness Runbeck is a top-notch organization and not themselves implicated in the election fraud of 2020. Runbeck CEO Jeff Ellington said defense production authorization was granted with help from the Department of Homeland Security, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, that's CISA, and the Commerce Department has prioritized paper supply for the election. If we put an order in for paper and Amazon put an order in for paper, we're going to take precedence, Ellington said, and that has helped just to make sure we would have what we need. That's so great. The fake illegitimate administration has made sure that Runbeck is taken care of. The global transition to digital and virtual work has led to plunging demand for white paper, forcing many paper mills across North America to shut down or convert to more profitable products such as cardboard. I don't blame them for converting over, but it's a very real threat, Ellington said. Oh, it's almost like it would be safer and more effective to vote on machines. Is that what they're saying? You can't trust that whole paper thing. What we need is to switch everything to machine voting. Save the trees. During the pandemic, many surviving paper mills stopped producing new paper and relied on their stockpiles to fulfill orders, experts said. Those have since dwindled. Mill workers and truck drivers have also been in short supply, adding strain on the paper supply chain. Industry groups say paper production capacities are expected to remain tight potentially into 2023. In a nationwide alert issued in January, the U.S. Election Assistance Commission warned state election officials of unprecedented demand for ballot paper with very long order lead times and a risk that some urgent last minute orders this year may not be fulfilled. We need to make sure that we're paying extra close attention to proofing of all materials, because if there was a typo or is a typo, your vendor might not be able to fill an emergency order in that way, said Amy Cohen, executive director of the National Association of State Election Directors. 
Thank goodness there's a national association with a spokesperson, and that makes it sound very legitimate. This person must absolutely be right and is surely operating in good faith, telling the truth, and doing her very, very best to ensure a safe and secure election. Let's jump down to the end. Although rare, underestimates have happened. During the 2022 Massachusetts primary, a townwide ballot shortage in Marblehead forced election officials to photocopy ballots, which could not be run through voting machines and had to be counted by hand. It's not realistic to think that the problem is solved. It's not, Cohen said. The ballot printing vendors have already made it clear to us that this is going to be a persistent problem and something that we need to be thinking about for 2024. Got that? So, Tens of millions of dollars are spent on election machines that reduce the safety and security of our elections and do not make our elections more efficient. It does not lead to a count that is confirmed on election night. It does not lead to an accurate count. It does not lead to an accurate result. But we spend tens of millions of dollars on these machines anyway. And then we find ourselves running into a problem that can't even possibly make sense. In 2022, we can't get paper. You can't incentivize with money the manufacturing of enough paper to run the election. Couldn't you, let's say, stop buying machines and reroute all of that money into making sure there are enough ballots? Couldn't Mark Zuckerberg donate half a billion dollars to that actual important need? No, course not. Mark Zuckerberg makes it so that we can have ballot drop boxes all over major cities, because how else are people going to return the mail in ballots that were mailed to them? What are they going to do? Use the mail? I wish these problems were solvable, but they're just too complicated. Thankfully, they only hurt one side and it's never the side in power. So the side in power is more than happy to convince us that the problems are just unresolvable and you can't get mad because everyone's doing their best. So Democrats are getting destroyed. They know it. The election fraud apparatus is active and in full swing. We see evidence of it everywhere, but I think they're going to have a real hard time pulling it off now. It doesn't mean that they won't pull it off and they won't declare themselves the victors in races all around the country, one through the manipulation of the elections, but it's getting a whole lot harder. Last night, a poll from ABC News in Arizona showed Carrie Lake now 11 points ahead of Katie Hobbs. And all of these polls are skewed. No matter what poll you see, it's going to underrepresent MAGA and overrepresent Democrats and more establishment voters. That 11 point lead for Carrie Lake is probably more like 20 or 30. How sheltered and bubbled and clueless would you have to be to go out and cast your vote for Katie Hobbs? And it's not just in Arizona. Rasmussen polling now has Brian Kemp up 10 points over Stacey Abrams. Stacey Abrams is a walking election fraud machine. That's why she's a prominent Democrat. It's not on the basis of her intelligence or her competence. It's due to the fact 
that she is a black woman. So they get all of the identity points and the fact that she runs the election fraud in Georgia. She literally has an ownership stake in the staffing company that supplied poll workers in 2020. They're called happy faces. And these aren't just local numbers. These numbers are a clear sign of a massive wave countrywide. It's entirely possible that the Republicans will sweep in the Senate and sweep in the governor's races. They're opening up new battlegrounds that no one could have ever imagined. Like in the Northeast, seems like Lee Zeldin's going to be the governor in New York. Seems like Don Bullock's going to win in New Hampshire. And it sounds like we may even get a Republican senator from Vermont, Bernie Sanders state. And this isn't just about the election. It's about the fallout after Republicans take back power. We are looking at a dismantling of the administrative state and a full on system wide collapse among Industries and organizations tied to the global communist order. This is from Axios on Tuesday evening. Corporate America lawyers up in anticipation of GOP house. Fortune 500 companies are retaining major law firms with GOP relationships in anticipation of a Republican controlled house eager for retribution against corporations it views as abetting left wing forces. And they're hiring GOP related attorneys to help them wage this battle. Well, what part of the GOP are these attorneys related to? Why it matters. Remember, Axios writes articles for child brains. So they have to explain what they're about to explain before they explain it. Once the allies of big business, the modern Republican Party is preparing to accelerate a political realignment by wielding Congress's subpoena power against key segments of corporate America. Oh, no. Currently, Congress is only wielding that subpoena power illegitimately against their political opponents. It would be terrible if they wielded it against corporate America. Targets would likely include big tech companies conservatives have criticized as overly censorious. Financial giants pushing sustainable investing, that's ESG, and beneficiaries of massive Biden era spending programs. That's right, commies. You're going to get investigated for absolutely every little bit of it. How we got here. Increased corporate engagement on social issues such as racial justice and abortion rights has pitted huge segments of corporate America against GOP policy orthodoxy. Well, no, not exactly. Those policies have pitted corporate America against the American people. Republicans see the focus on equity, sustainability and governance reform as an ideological affront, and they plan to make it a central target of their investigative agenda. And again, the affront is not just ideological, it's practical. When scores of companies slashed donations to members of Congress who objected to Biden's win on January 6th, they repudiated a hard right GOP faction expected to grow in the coming Congress. Oh, yes, they've been so repudiated. They were repudiated by globalist aligned corporate America, but somehow not repudiated at all by the American people. In fact, the opposite happened. They're going to grow. How does it happen? How is it that the whole narrative is always wrong? 
The split has left corporate America desperately seeking out the scant few firms in Washington that can help forge inroads with a GOP caucus less amenable to business concerns than in years past. No, they're actually quite amenable to business concerns. They're just not amenable to the concerns of World Economic Forum aligned corporations focused on ESG, doing things like mandating the experimental gene therapy and funding their employees' abortions. Republican lobbyists for years delivered win after win for corporate America with a Republican party that wanted to help. One K Street Republican told Axios, why not name him? That has to be said off the record. A lot of those members that helped deliver those wins have retired or lost elections and are being replaced by people that could care less about building a relationship with a Fortune 500 company's in-house lobbyist. It's like they're campaigning for us. The American people want that. And global communist propaganda outlet Axios is presenting it as if it's a bad thing. Ask Americans, what do you think it would be? 80%? 90%? Who want to see the influence of K Street lobbyists diminished? What we're watching. Major legislation from COVID-19 aid and the chip funding bill to the Inflation Reduction Act and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Bill will provide ripe oversight opportunities for Republicans who have railed against excessive spending. Companies should review the federal programs they've participated in and decide whether they might fall under the microscope of a Republican Congress, said Michael Bell, an attorney at global law firm Hogan Lavelle's. Wow. They're just admitting that the companies should review their participation in these programs where they extracted American taxpayer money and the companies received it as handouts to continue going along with the global communist agenda. It's not a secret. It's not a conspiracy theory. It's a system and it's right up in your face. Behind the scenes. Holland and Knight partner Christopher Armstrong, who specializes in congressional investigations, told Axios he's briefing corporate clients on a presumptive GOP caucus eyeing oversight powers to target private companies. In past Congresses, Republicans would be expected to focus oversight on the administration, he said. Obviously, that will happen. But the presumption against them investigating private companies? I think those days are over. Oh, no. Aaron Cutler, head of the Congressional Investigations Practice at Hogan Lavelle's, told Axios that his firm organizes two to three hour simulations to grill CEOs and get under their skin like a member of Congress would. You got that? The corporations are now paying consultants to help them figure out how not to admit their legal liability in what they knowingly did. These preparations aren't grounded in paranoia. For months, top House conservatives and outside allies have been plotting investigative strategies into private as well as public entities. If Republicans retake investigative power in November, the days of just focusing on government action are over. Mike Howell, who leads the Heritage Foundation's oversight project, told Axios over the summer, it's not just the government now where the left is enacting its agenda. It's in corporate boardrooms. It's in school boards. Flashback. The current moment is reminiscent of 2010 when the GOP took control of the House in the wake of sweeping Democrat-backed legislation like the Affordable Care Act and the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act addressing the Great Recession. Oh, 
the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. That sounds like build back better. Isn't it amazing that there are always these massive problems that are then addressed with massive government spending programs, especially considering how much everyone in government, most of them sitting illegitimately, love government spending programs. It's like they're all getting rich on them themselves. They love them so much. You can almost imagine them being willing to create crises that then they can solve. The GOP oversight investigations that followed uncovered Solyndra, a solar panel company that went bankrupt after receiving $535 million in federal loan guarantees from an Obama era stimulus bill. A year from now, there will be another household name. It's not going to be Solyndra. That is emblematic of the waste, fraud and abuse, said Jim Barnett, a partner at Steptoe and Johnson, who previously served as general counsel for the House Energy Committee. And they're right. There will be lots of new names. There will be lots of investigations over front companies that pretend to be fixing problems that the people in power have created or invented entirely like man-made climate change. And we'll see that all the money that was paid into those companies lined the pockets of all sorts of people. And for all that money, absolutely nothing was produced to address the problems that they invented. And that will be so disappointing to all the people who actually believed these companies were solving real problems, except the problems aren't real and the companies aren't real. And if the companies aren't solving a real problem, well, then what are the companies? Oh, they're just front groups for money laundering and the propping up of businesses tasked with implementing the global order who are fully controllable by the global communists. And hey, if you don't believe that's how it works, go ahead and read the Marco Polo report on the Biden laptop. It's all right there with all the receipts. This is exactly how it works. And it's going to be so much fun to watch it all fall down. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode, and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.CancelCouture.com, and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree linktree.com slash I'm your moderator and I'll see you soon out on the range
It's high noon! Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hot!